0: Listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at WellChurchVT.com. Well, I'm recording this on a Wednesday, so that means that the election results aren't all in yet. Maybe they'll be in tonight. Maybe they'll be in this weekend. Maybe it'll be a week or two, we just don't know. But I wanted to pass along something that I've been leaning into that I think could be useful to you in the coming days and weeks ahead. And this is something that I got from Pastor Rich Lotus and he pastors a church in New York City called New Life Fellowship. And in his church, he just completed a four-part sermon series called God, Politics, and the Church. And in that series, he lists seven marks of faithfulness to Jesus in a politically hostile world. How many know this is a politically hostile environment? And so he laid out, here are seven marks of faithfulness to Jesus in a politically hostile environment and this has been a tremendous encouragement to me so i want to pass these along to you this is a freebie sermon i'm going to preach another sermon from the book of james as soon as i get through these okay here they are seven marks of faithfulness to jesus in a politically hostile world number one you're not paralyzed with anxiety as a result of the election now That doesn't mean that you don't have any anxiety, or anger, or disappointment, or grief. It just means that you're not paralyzed by it. See, the fact of the matter is that that no matter who wins this thing, some of us are going to be grieving. Some of us are going to be relieved, and that's okay. You know, the church has lived through 2,000 years of empires and regimes, and Jesus has been Lord through all of them, and he's going to continue to be Lord. And so, yes, we might have anxiety over the result of the elections, but but to a mark of a faithful follower of Jesus in a politically hostile world is we're not paralyzed with anxiety as a result of the election. Okay, number two, you pray for those you disagree with. Jesus tells us to love our enemies. The scriptures tell us to pray for our enemies. It also tells us to pray for our leaders, right? So it doesn't matter who wins this election. We need to be praying. Even if we disagree with the the person who wins this, we need to be praying, right? A, A third mark of faithfulness to Jesus during a political hostile time is you confess your own limits and blind spots. You, you, you look to maintain this humble posture of, of saying, I don't have all the answers. Maybe some of these issues are more complex than I make them out to be. Uh, another mark of faithfulness to Jesus is you don't anoint a candidate or a party as God's candidate or party. And the reason for that is because the kingdom of God doesn't fit neatly into a political party. The the kingdom of God transcends our political parties, right? We, We have to learn as faithful followers of Jesus, we have to learn to see politics through Jesus, not Jesus through politics. Pastor Rich in his series says that the church is to be a species of its own kind, All right, let me give you a few more marks of faithfulness to Jesus in a politically hostile world. Here's another one. Jesus' ethical concerns become your concerns. And that means everything from sanctity of life, from womb to tomb, taking care of God's creation, seeking justice for the poor and the vulnerable, Restraining violence, preserving human rights, strengthening families, pursuing racial equity and justice, we have to concern ourselves with what Jesus is concerned with. And the difficulty during election cycles is that our two political parties, they, emphasize, they each emphasize some of these ethics, but Jesus invites us to care about all of them. All right, two more marks of faithfulness to Jesus in a politically hostile world. Number six, you spend more time listening to Jesus' voice than the prevailing cultural voices. You know, today we're going to spend time in God's word. We're going to look at the book of James together, chapter three, because we need to be intentional about listening to what God has to say. That we, we can't, as faithful followers of Jesus, we, we can't allow his voice to be drowned out by political talking points. You know, we have this 24-hour news cycle, and it's just constant, and we're so curious, and we're, we're, we're anxious, and we want to find out if, if who's going to be the president if our person we voted for is going to be the one but we have to make sure that we spend more time listening to Jesus' voice than the pundits' voices and the political talking heads, right? And then finally, you live with a hope that makes no sense to the world. See, our hope is not in a political party. It is not in a president. Our hope is in an unshakable kingdom, the kingdom of God. And so I hope that these, these seven marks of faithfulness to Jesus that Pastor Rick, Rich gave to his church, I hope they're useful to you. They, they sure have been to me. I've been leaning into those. And, and I'm curious which one of these God might be personally inviting you into this week. So, so take some time to pray about that. I think at the end of the service, we're going to put these seven marks of faithfulness back on the screen. So if you miss them, they'll be up again. Okay. That was a bonus sermon. Now we're going to dive into the book of James. We are in James chapter 3 today. Ian mentioned last week that the book of James is a letter written by James to Messianic Jews, and it's comprised of 12 short wisdom speeches. In James, in this letter, he leans on Jesus' teachings And the book of Proverbs is his primary source material. And the purpose of this book, the purpose of his letter, is to call people to a wholehearted devotion to the way of Jesus. He's concerned with what a living faith in Jesus looks like, how it's practiced. And in chapter 3, James addresses how our faith needs to inform our words, what we say, what we speak, right? It was Jesus who said, out of the mouth, the heart speaks. In other words, what's in here comes out here. The book of Proverbs has a lot to say about the power of our words. And so in the first half of James chapter three, James exhorts us to be attentive to what is coming out of our mouth, is it congruent with the faith that we profess in Jesus? So let's, let's dive in a little bit. I'm going to just read the first verse, James chapter 3 verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Yikes, why did I read that? So James starts by pointing out what a huge responsibility it is to preach and speak about God's word. You know, what's inseparable from preaching is the danger of saying the wrong things. I've been preaching for for a number of years now, and when you preach and sermonize, you have a higher likelihood for experiencing foot-in-mouth disease. Right? You know what I'm talking about when, when you're talking and all of a sudden something slips out and maybe you hadn't thought it through or it came across in a way that you didn't intend and it's like your foot's in your mouth and like, oh no, what do I do? It, it's also when you preach, when you teach, when you, when you sermonize, there's also more opportunity to say something that lacks grace and tact because you're just talking a lot. And, and you can even miscommunicate God's word. And those are all real dangers, even for the sincere preacher and teacher. That doesn't account for the insincere preacher and teacher who uses their platform to manipulate certain responses that they desire, right? So James starts out chapter three. He's talking about our speech and what we say. And he starts out by saying, hey, if you teach and preach, be attentive. Now, James isn't trying to discourage gospel proclamation. He wants churches to approach gospel proclamation, to approach preaching and teaching with humility and with care. He wants churches and preachers to understand the weight and the responsibility that accompanies the gift of preaching, the gift of speech. And so what he does next in chapter three is he goes on to give some advice, complete with multiple analogies, to help us understand the implications of our words, not just as preachers, but as followers of Jesus and as gospel proclaimers because we're all called to proclaim the gospel. Amen. So in James chapter three, verse three, he says this, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. Verse 5, in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. So what he's doing here is he's contrasting, of course, size and effect. He's saying a horse can be directed by a tiny bit in its mouth. A huge ship can be steered in a direction by a small rudder that you can't even see underneath the water. A tiny spark can set an entire forest on fire, right? We've seen the wildfires on the west coast, and and it's a, it's amazing to see the devastation that one little flame or spark can cause, right? And James uses those analogies to point out that our words— have that kind of power and effect, for for good and for bad. And so his point, of course, is that our faith in Jesus, if it's a living faith, it needs to inform our words. In James chapter 1 verse 19, he tells us, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Why? Because sometimes Our tongue acts before our mind can evaluate what we're saying. And as followers of Jesus, we have to be attentive to that. We have to be attentive to our words. How many of you can remember something that was said to you that altered your direction in a negative way? Maybe someone once told you, you aren't college material. Or you'll never be in a healthy relationship. Or maybe someone said to you, nobody cares what you think. And so you stopped sharing what you think. You stopped thinking. Or maybe they said to you, you are such a mess. Right? Yeah. James compares words like that to wild beasts. He, 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 he says they're undomesticated animals that, that lash out of nowhere. Look at verse 7. He says, people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. James says that our words are like a recoiled snake that's waiting to strike and inject their venom in you. And words have a way of seeping into our bloodstream, right? They seep into our soul and spirit, even when we're unaware. And our words can also be an empowering force, right? I remember when I was a young man, I had made a a series of poor decisions. I was in a relationship that was, uh, I, I wasn't treating the person well, and the relationship just didn't, it didn't, it didn't work out. It it, it, it it, had failed. And a mentor uh, took me aside one day and said, Adam, I know you learned a lot from that relationship. In your next relationship, you're not going to make those same mistakes. And he just encouraged me and just spoke, like hope into my future situation my future relationships and i remember walking away from that time with him thinking yeah you know what he's right i am going to learn from this things are going to be different my next relationship see that's that's why the scriptures exhort us to encourage one another daily because words have power for good and for bad and if our faith is truly alive James is pointing out, if our faith is truly alive, it'll be reflected in the words we say to others and about others. Now, James in chapter 3 warns us of one more danger of the tongue, and that's its duplicitous nature. Look at verse 9. Sometimes, speaking of the tongue, sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes It curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Now, James here is speaking of this idea of double talk where where we verbally praise God. And with the same mouth, with the same tongue, we curse people who are created in his image. Now, I fully believe that if James were writing to the church today, he'd include a few verses about how we interact on our social media platforms. Right, you've seen it. The Twitter bio that says, follower of Jesus, lover of God, and yet that person trolls everyone who disagrees with them. They're dismissive, they're rude, and you read their bio and you're like, what is going on? That's what James is talking about. You've seen the the Facebook posts, right, of someone's devotional time. It's a picture of a Bible and the sun shines coming through the window and there's a cup of coffee and the steam's flowing out of it and, and the little quote is spending devotional time with Jesus. And then the next post, the person is on a tirade because they're disagreeing and being rude and dismissive of somebody who has a different political opinion. You know, it's it's funny that... I've yet to see someone read a Facebook post and walk away saying, wow, they convinced me I was completely wrong and they're completely right. You know, author Ken Witzman, he says this about kind of our media platforms and how it's shaping our our dialogue and conversation. He says, the death of slow conversation and reflection means the death of interaction and deep exploration. He goes on to say, what we're left with when everyone is trading conclusions, and that's what social media is, right? It's people trading their conclusions. What we're left with when everyone is trading conclusions is simply a choice between the two sides of a conversation. He says this, we're forced by the nature of fast moving conversations to accept or reject without the time for the argument and analysis necessary. See, what he's trying to get at is is social media isn't the best avenue for healthy dialogue because most of the time it lacks the space required for healthy dialogue. And it disciples us. It disciples us in a way to not listen to one another. It disciples us in, in, in a way that teaches us that there's no room for nuance or complexity. It's a world of I'm right and you're wrong. Come at me. right? And, and James, James says this, this isn't right. We, we have to learn how to disagree without belittling someone or cursing them. We can't praise God with our tongue and with the same tongue, with the same mouth, curse those who are created in God's image. And James concludes his thoughts here about the tongue in chapter 3. He concludes his thoughts by saying this. You can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. If we're salty towards others, we can't have the fresh bubbling spring in us that Jesus talked about. And so we have to learn how to use our words in a way that reflects the living faith that we have in Jesus. Now, from here, James springboards into our need for wisdom, and specifically God's wisdom. In verse 17 and 18, the last two verses of this chapter, let me read these. James 3, verse 17 and 18. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving gentle at all times and willing to yield to others it is full of mercy and good deeds it shows no favoritism and is always sincere and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness So James tells us, he wraps up chapter 3, he tells us why we need God's wisdom, that living faith in Jesus requires wisdom from heaven, wisdom from above. In James chapter 1, verse 5, the very beginning of this letter, James says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God and he'll give it to you. Because James understands that it's one thing to have faith in Jesus. It's another thing to have the wisdom to live out your faith. Pastor Rich Valotis, in his series that I mentioned earlier, said it this way. We may have Jesus in our hearts, but grandpa lives in our bones. In other words, we we can have faith in Jesus. We can believe Jesus and know all the right things, that Jesus went to the cross, he took our sins, he He He, he set us free from sin and death. We can, we can believe all the right things if we repent and turn from our wicked ways and turn to Jesus and, and believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that he is Lord. We can, be, we can know all that, we can believe all that. But we got grandpa in our bones. We need to unlearn some things if we wanna follow Jesus faithfully, earthly wisdom isn't going to cut it. James says we need God's wisdom. And here's what God's wisdom looks like in verse 17 and 18. He, he lays it out for us. He says God's wisdom, wisdom from above, is pure. All right? There's no agenda. There's no ulterior motive. It's pure. And he, he says it's peace-loving. It loves peace. It's gentle at all times, he says. God's wisdom is gentle at all times. God's wisdom is full of mercy and good deeds. He goes on and says, it shows no favoritism. It's always sincere. So a living faith in Jesus has these qualities. It has this disposition, right? In in verse 18, verse 18, he says, In those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace, man. This is a word for us right now in this election cycle, where half of the country is going to be grieving. Half of the country is going to be relieved as peacemakers. We need to learn how to plant seeds of peace. Now we have to be careful not to confuse peacemakers with peacekeepers. Okay. Peacekeepers can be prone, to avoiding conflict and pretending it doesn't exist. That's not what James is talking about. He's talking about peacemakers. See, peacemakers are committed to resolving the conflict and reconciling. They're into a reconciling relationship. And so being a peacemaker and planting seeds of peace requires God's wisdom. Not just about winning the conflict, right? But about reconciling relationship, about restoring what is broken. And so, here's why peacemakers need need wisdom, God's wisdom, because you have to you have to have, be wise enough to know the right time, the right place, have the right words. You have to approach the conflict in, in, in a spirit of humility, right? Be aware of your own blind spots. You have to be ready. To listen to another person's perspective in their pain. That's that's part of wisdom from above. You have to be committed to speaking truth tactfully and respectfully. And, And you also have to focus on reconciliation and not just resolution. You have to learn how to disagree agreeably for the sake of relationship. And so peacemakers, those who plant seeds of peace, they need God's wisdom from above to do all those things. And I'm convinced, I'm completely convinced that our nation is in dire need of peacemakers right now. Followers of Jesus who have a living faith, not peacekeepers, not people who, who avoid conflict and, and injustice and pretending it doesn't exist. I'm talking about peacemakers who, who are committed to resolving conflict and reconciling. right? I'm convinced our nation is in entire need of peacemakers right now. Followers of Jesus who have a living faith, who understand the power of words, who are committed, like James says, to seeking out God's wisdom, committed to planting seeds of peace. And so I hope that you remember the words from James as you interact with others this week and in the weeks ahead, because this chapter, James chapter 3, is full of wisdom for our time, where there's political hostility and and angst and polarization, man, there's so much in James chapter 3 to be attentive to the words coming out of our mouth, to be seeking God's wisdom. And so what I'd like to do to close is I'd like to pray for us and ask God for wisdom because we need it right now. Amen. So let's pray together, church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you in, in the midst of uncertainty, and it's Wednesday for me right now. I don't even know who our president's going to be, and I don't know if that'll even be resolved by Sunday morning when we're watching this, but Lord, um, there's so much there's so much tension, polarization, and division, and I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you that we're, we're intentionally pausing and, and, and turning off the 24-hour news cycle for a moment to, to, to see what you have to say. Lord, we want the wisdom that comes from above. Lord, we want to be attentive to the words that come out of our mouth. We, we, we want to know deep in our hearts that the, the faith, the living faith we have in Jesus uh, requires us to be attentive to what we say and how we say it and have wisdom from above and how to interact with, with the world around us. So, Lord, would you help us? Holy Spirit, would you give us the wisdom? James chapter 1, verse 5 says, if, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God and he'll give it to you. So, Lord, here we are. We are asking we're asking for it as a community. As a Jesus community, we're asking for your wisdom. God, give it to us. We, we, we will promise to do our very best and hear from your spirit and listen to your voice and listen to other voices and, and, and step into this wisdom that comes from above so that our faith can be living and active. So Lord, we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community.